Welcome everyone to the Towards Wholeness podcast where we are seeking to take steps so that you can move toward wholeness in spirit and soul and body. This is Richard Dahlstrom. Uh, my guest today, I'm really excited to have, is Jeff Cuse speaking on a theme of is faith still relevant and how do we care for people who are disillusioned with faith. Jeff is professor of Christian ministry, theology, and culture at Seattle Pacific University. He's an ordained Presbyterian pastor as well. He's been a pastor in both the United States and in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, He is presently working at Pivot Northwest as their director as well. That's something that we'll get into a little bit. He's taught a bit at University of Glasgow in Scotland. I think of Jeff as kind of this renaissance man who has his fingers in lots of different things. We're Facebook friends as well as real friends. And I know that he's widely read and uh, incredibly literate as well in music. One of his books, in fact, is entitled Your Neighbor's Hymnal, What Popular Music Teaches Us About Faith, Hope, and Love. Great book. And his most recent book is entitled Live the Questions, How Searching Shapes Our Convictions and Commitments. I can tell you that that is an outstanding book, a really good read, uh, because learning to ask the right questions, I've come to believe, is the key to wisdom. And then above all of that, a personal note, Jeff and I are friends, and I just absolutely love uh, bringing Jeff into uh, uh, council meetings at the church that I lead, and he imparts wisdom to us. He preaches for me various times, and I love bouncing ideas off him. I don't work out with him because he's a CrossFit guru as well, and he would shame me. But other than that, Jeff, it's uh, great having you with us. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. And and always remember that the great equalizer is, of course, two skis on my feet in a mountain. So uh, so you can you can take me there anytime, and you'll you'll definitely, <laughs> ha- you'll definitely show your alpha. There we go. Yeah, it's good. Well, we both love we both love working out in different ways, and it's 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 just it's just great having you on here because the things that we're going to talk about today are just so uh, I think appropriate to the moment in which we find ourselves. I'd like to begin by hearing about this unique study that you're involved in called the, the Pivot Study, uh, funded uh, by an endowment. Tell me what this is about, how you got involved in it, and some of the things that you're learning. Yeah, thanks, Richard. The The Pivot Study began um, uh, three and a half years ago. It's a five-year longitudinal study funded by the Lilly Endowment. Basically, what happened is that the Lilly Foundation, the Lilly Endowment, uh, which has been very gracious in funding a lot of religious uh, studies and support of churches for decades, came to a very interesting point of data where a few years back, the Pew Research Fund uh, was studying 22 to 29-year-olds and found out that across the United States, 22 to 29-year-olds were the a community that was decreasing the fastest, plummeting the most in participation of any types of formal religious life, whether it's a synagogue, a mosque, and certainly in Christian churches. And as this precipitous fall of attendance of young adults in faith communities was being noticed, Lily put out a, a call for research uh, to look at various regions of the country. And so my research uh, that I'm working on with a research team here in the Pacific Northwest is basically asking this one question, which is, what would it mean for faith communities to innovate and become hospitable for young adults at this time and in this place? 
Uh, what would that look like? What, what felt needs have young adults expressed? What are they looking for in churches? What are they looking for in faith growth at this time? So just in brief, we've run a number of studies. We've done uh, both qualitative and quantitative data collection. We've met with target churches in the, re- in the region, giving them tools for help. And what we've come to at the midpoint of the study, and we're still learning a lot right now, first and foremost, is that young adults by and large, don't hate the church, which is kind of startling for some pastors. Uh, There's often a perception that the reason why young adults aren't coming to the church is because they're angry at churches, they don't like authority figures. And some of that may be true, but by and large, a vast majority of young adults really think churches do great work. And so that's one thing is that churches, churches are not the adversary of young adults. Second thing that we've found is that the very things that young adults are saying they want to have a whole life, uh, kind of a holistic life, can be found in churches, but there's a disconnect between how young adults maybe interpret what that means and how churches present themselves. Just in brief, I mean, six big categories that we're seeing already that young adults are looking for in churches are these. Community, that is a place to foster deep relationships. Personal transformation, a place that they can go where they can have a dedicated effort to kind of increase and develop their own body, mind, and spirit, which is the heartbeat of this podcast. Uh, Social transformation. Third, that they want to pursue justice and beauty in the world through networks that are committed to the greater good. Fourth, that they want a place that has a purpose and finding of meaning. And what does it mean to have a personal meaning in my life? Fifth, that they want organizations that are about, that are about of creativity Uh, So a space and a time that can activate the imagination and engage in play. And sixth, accountability, that young adults really want to be in a place where they're seen and they're heard and held accountable to becoming better people. Uh, So these these areas um, we hear over and over and over again for young adults who aren't in churches, they want them, they seek them out, but oftentimes churches don't describe themselves in these ways. So that's the second big thing. But the third thing we found out in the study too is that in order for this to happen, there needs to be a lot of humility in churches. And that is that churches need to be willing to lay down some of the things that have worked for them for the past two decades, ways of presenting themselves, way of talking, way of even expressing what it means to be following of Jesus, and start transforming that to be more hospitable to young adults. So a a question I have then, and you alluded to this a little bit, I'd be interested in you unpacking it. I loved when you you're like out of the gate, you go, young adults don't hate the church. And I go, oh, well, th- this is news in a sense. I mean, intuitively, there's this kind of purely subjective, non-data-driven sense that the reason that young adults aren't in church is because they've just been hurt or they, for, there's been some profound disillusionment and they've moved on. My question then, you offer these six kind of prescriptive ways forward for churches, which are outstanding. Is it one of those six things in particular lacking that creates the disconnect for young people? Or is it a a combination of all six? Are different young people looking for different things? There is a disconnect. We see it in our own local church, a slight decline, I would say, in attendance among college students. I think you see it among college students at Seattle Pacific as well. Can you identify that cause with clarity or is it a blend of those six things? Yeah. And again, like most things, it's when you have to get into the specifics, right? So it's not as a one size fits all, this will change everything. I would be having a very different conversation with churches today if I had that silver bullet 
uh, to, solve, <laughs> to solve this right now. But one thing we have seen, and I'll, I'll begin with this, is when I say that young adults do not hate the church or angry at the church, when we ask questions about why young adults aren't attending church, the answer we have never gotten is because churches shouldn't exist. We've surveyed now over 5,000 young adults, both nationally and regionally, and never in, in have we gotten data that they just should not exist. There are, of course, people who are very adversarial against churches. Uh, many people think that the existence of churches may be problematic and they have those views. But by and large, a vast majority of young adults feel that what churches do, and oftentimes it's in voiced in for my parents, for culture, for social action that they care for in cities, uh, young adults see value in what churches do. The disconnect is that for young adults, they're finding that some of their primary needs are what they see in community, transformation, social action, purpose finding, creativity, accountability. These things they are now finding in other places, and they don't find the churches as interested in those things. So that's part of the disconnect. So it feels like I could, for example, if I want community and transformation, I can go to CrossFit. If I want social transformation, I can get involved in international justice mission. If I want purpose and finding meaning, I can take a, a class online, even from Harvard these days. You know, mm-hmm. if I want if I want creativity, if I live in Seattle, I can go over to Capitol Hill to Gage Institute and and take an art class. I can kind of, in other words, it's all it's like our culture is a buffet of these exact categories. And so I, in a sense, don't need the church when I can kind of customize my path forward according to what's available in culture. Is that a little bit accurate? Or It, it is, with this exception, is that every single one of those things you mentioned is absolutely correct. Um, so whether it's CrossFit, the Mountaineers, yoga studios, uh, you know, biking, you know, there's different types of activities, community groups, social action groups that fill young adults' lives. And they find tons of meaning, they find transformation, they find community, they meet all these things. But we still find that young adults are still looking for churches. And here's the kicker, that many young adults want churches to be churches, meaning that they want them to talk about prayer, they want them to spend time in the Bible, they want them to be places where forgiveness and accountability uh, towards God, towards others, and towards creation can be seen and felt. So in many respects, One of the things that's discouraging for young adults is they go to churches because they want to encounter God. They want worship services. They want Bible studies. And and so there's things that churches are are supposed to be doing that oftentimes, and and, and I think this is coming out of a past of seeker-sensitive churches where, where, where they felt like they needed to bury the church aspect of what you do and front load Um, more attractional aspects. So while I list these six things as being things that are very important to young adults, underneath all of this we've seen in our studies is if churches would be churches, meaning if they did things that were Christian and overtly so and told people that's what they were about, then that would actually be quite attractional. So case in point, um, in Seattle, we have a very large Episcopal church. And one of the things that they do in their church is they have what's called a Compline service, which is an evening service at St. Mark's Episcopal Church on Capitol Hill. And has for years attracted 20-year-olds uh, to come in a very passive contemplative space. It is one of the most high ancient liturgical kind of things you could possibly imagine that goes in many ways against some of the trends that people think that in order to get people to come to church, you have to be the newest whiz-bang kind of thing in place. Same thing, St. James Cathedral, which is a Catholic church. 
very high liturgical space, but they have a Friday night Taze service, which attracts tons of, of young adults uh, to that space. And now in the contour to that, we have a number of non-denominational small churches that are attracting a lot of young adults because they have community, they have connection, and they have purpose in really unique ways. And so we could talk about some examples of some of those maybe a little bit later. I think that's great. I'm familiar with Compline. When I was a university student in Seattle, I attended almost every Sunday night. I still listen uh, on the radio sometimes in the evenings. There's a transcendence about it. And I work with uh, torchbearers, as you know, and some students come down from Canada, spend a week in Seattle, and I take them to Compline. It's really amazing when you stop and think about mm-hmm. the breadth of worldviews represented in the room and, and how they're listening to scripture set to music. I still find it intriguing that it's so attractive to everyone. But I think it speaks of that longing for beauty that you spoke of about mm-hmm. the yeah, absolutely. One example of that. Uh, can you give me a couple of examples of how churches have, to use the word from the study, pivoted based on what they're learning uh, and, and taken steps to be the church in a way that is addressing the, these needs? Yeah. One of the things that's very attractional to young adults with regards to church communities we've found is if churches admit from the very beginning that they can't do everything by themselves. So we have a church in Burien, which is uh, south of Seattle. Burien is an area of King County where I live that it has a lot of economic pressures. There's issues of gentrification. It's incredibly racially diverse. Right now, there's a lot of unemployment in that area. And so there's been a lot of struggles in that area. One church that we've been working with in our study, uh, the young adults in that church, many of them have been very involved, a lot of social justice activities in the area through various community organizing projects. But many of these young adults never thought or even considered the fact that the church would be interested in partnering with them because these organizations are not Christian organizations. They they are funded by King County. They're funded by state monies. But this church decided that it didn't matter. They were about the same purpose. So they started one project that they started there is called the Justice League. And they work for advocacy for teenagers who are caught in the legal system there in juvenile detention. And the church has been a place for meetings, for gatherings, for um, helping these really these young adults who are doing advocacy work, work with these juvenile detainees um, in the area. And one of the things that we found is we interviewed some of these young adults about what attracted them to go to this church, which is Lake Burien Presbyterian is the name of the church. They, they said that, it, that their starting point was the church admitted that it couldn't do the work it needed to do unless it partnered with these other organizations, that it was willing to learn from and listen to these other 501c3 nonprofit organizations doing advocacy work, and they wanted to learn. And that teachability as a church was incredibly attractive to the young adults who then started to attend. They became part of the worship community. They found themselves in Bible studies. Many of them were not Christians, and now they've become seekers of faith uh, through this community. And it all really stems from a church saying, we don't have the resources we need to help the world. We need to learn. Another example um, is the north of Seattle in a town called Linwood. Linwood is also an area of incredible economic diversity and racial diversity. A church that planted up up in Linwood uh, named Renew, which is a church plant from the Evangelical Covenant, is a very ethnically diverse church. And their whole mission has been to be a very small church. 
they're they're not seeking to grow any larger than 75 people. They see their vision as being very, very focused on two basic things. One is single parents. Uh, How do we better equip single parents to find community and care for their kids? And the second thing is how do we create a space for social justice around diversity, inclusion, and equity? And, And one of the ways that they did that is they took over a church that had closed Uh, an old church called Martha Lake Covenant, which um, had basically seen its life finish and it was just an empty building. When they took over the space, the first thing they did is they removed half of the parking spaces in the church and plowed it over and made a community garden because they realized they were not going to need that many spaces. It was built for a time when you had a lot of people driving in and driving out. Now they have this flourishing community garden that people can gather, that these young families can grow food, they can teach their kids about uh, cultivation of food. And it's a space for them to have very easy conversations about what does it mean to be in community. And those are just two simple examples. I could, of course, give you many more. But part of it has been that churches who are willing to be teachable, willing to learn, willing to give up control, are seen as very hospitable to young adults today. There's so much that you're saying that uh, resonates with me. I I, I just, this notion of partnering is so, so vital. There's a little ministry right near us, a little nonprofit called Aurora Commons, and they're devoted to ministry to folks who are stuck on the streets and building relationship with them and empowering them. So we've built a partnership with them, uh, both financially and in terms of volunteers. And, and this is, everyone is longing for a way to make a difference in the world. And, and I think that this is, uh, we have to, if we're not speaking to that, then the church does become irrelevant. Yeah, agreed. And, and, and I think with that too, um, one of the things we're finding with young adults that they're also really appreciative of communities that they find, like Aurora Commons, which is a great example, I'm glad you lifted them up, is that, that they become communities where people can belong without having to necessarily join. And this is something we're seeing with young adults is that you could participate at any level. There's, you know, it's, it's about being building a bit bigger table. You're welcome at the table. Um, and commitment is found through accountability. So it's like you build deeper and deeper relationships where if you're gone, we miss you. We want you to be here. We see you. We know your story. So belonging has also become a really big theme in, in these organizations as well is that membership where you can just come and go as you need to go, but I'm, but I'm a member of a church without any accountability is not something desirable for young adults. They actually want people to miss them. And they, and they want to know that when I show up, there's, there's actually a job for me to do. Another interesting little tidbit that we found, which is a big shift from seeker-sensitive churches in the past, has been young adults actually don't like when the call for tithing happens in a church where the offering is being asked for, where they say, hey, if you're a visitor, you don't have to give anything. We're just glad you're here. It gets communicated, we found to young adults, as if you're just kind of a visitor and you're not one of us yet, as opposed to, hey, we're doing something here. If you'd like to give, we'd love for you to give. It's actually seen as very uh, attractive because it gives me agency. And these are the little things that we're finding that young adults are reporting to us as we report into churches. Churches are shocked. You mean it's okay for us to ask everybody to give if they feel led to? Absolutely. It means that you're showing that I belong here. Right. You know, uh, you and I have talked about the idol of individualism in American culture. And it does feel to me like as an idol runs its course, it's kind of like eating too much ice cream. It's like, it was really attractive at first, but by the time I finished my 
second gallon of moose tracks or something like that, <laughs> I'm starting to feel the effects of it. And I'm beginning to question, wow, I wonder if this is actually healthy. And I think that's exactly happening right now with uh, individualism as a cultural value in the United States, where we've been drinking from that cup for a few generations now, certainly since the end of World War II. And now we're starting to feel the, the we're starting to pay the social price of isolation. We see it in homelessness. We see it in addiction. We see it in anxiety. We see it in chronic loneliness. And this just, it just kind of fuels this longing for community. And this is what the church can be, and not only can be, but it's actually called to be, like this family, right? Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. It's actually one of the big themes as well that we've seen. We have a uh, virtual summit coming up uh, for many of our churches we're working with in our grant. And the theme that we asked our young adult advisory group was, what do you want us to be speaking of? And the issue of family rose to the top very quickly because this notion of found family, you know, what does it mean to gather together, to break bread together? That's important, but we still need to know kind of where do we come from? Who are our parents? What do we do with our broken relationships? Uh, The fear of entering into new relationships, not wanting to repeat the brokenness that other generations have. So the question of family is still a very big one. It's one of the things that churches also offer. It's one of the few multi-generational spaces that young adults get to be in anymore. Most of our culture is segmented by age. Most workplaces are very homogenous age-wise. Most of the activities people do are fairly homogenous by age. But churches show a diversity of ages. And it's one of the things also that's a felt need, this idea of family, diversity, generations, and community building away from individualism, as you mentioned, is something that's a deep hunger too. How do you think the current corona COVID crisis is affecting this entire conversation we're having? Is, is the hunger for transcendence and meaning and community increasing or are people kind of settling into their homes in forced social isolation and finding comfort mm-hmm. there? What's your observation? Yeah, I, you know, I tell my students often when we get into what's called theological anthropology or what does it mean to be a human being from the eyes of God, that one of the things about being human is we are some of the most malleable things in all of creation. Human beings can change and, and morph in surprising ways. I mean, we can be unbelievably generous one day and we can be unbelievably hor- horrific and inhumane the next I mean, we're very malleable. But what that means, too, is that in a time like this COVID isolation, we've seen human beings really, because of a sense of panic and and a sense of necessity, become things they never even thought imaginable and are actually quite surprised by how quickly they moved into social distancing, isolation, changing their work habits, what they never thought they would do. But then it becomes the fear and anxiety of, well, what happens when this is all over? And I, and I think we're seeing with our young adults, it's the classic story of, of middle school where you start your new year, you come into the cafeteria, and it's that dread of going, well, can I sit at their table? Because now when all the things are going to open back up again, people are terrified about, well, can I tell them that I miss them? Or am I going to be alienated? Am I, are they going right. to find new friends? You know, What's this community going to look like? And what if I'm the only one who says I missed everybody, but nobody else says that? So there's all of these anxieties about the re-entry process more than about what we've settled into. So I think there is that anxiety that people have, but young adults already have on the other side, some maintained connections that they've had through, the, through our media and through a lot of things. And people want the physical touch and the physical spaces to be open again. 
we, we saw this after World War, World War II. Actually, there's a lot of documentation where people felt like after World War II, with people not going to church as much because of people being away at war or single parents having to work, that people wouldn't return to church. And it was just the opposite. People flooded into those spaces as soon as they could. And I'm thinking this is what's going to happen immediately. We're going to see not only will hair salons be filled with people who desperately need haircuts, but, <laughs> church, but, but, but churches are going to be filled uh, again. I really believe that. Well, what I'd like to do is take what you've shared today, uh, the, including six categories. I'll try and get some data from you on that uh, and share this with every pastor I know because it's so poignant and appropriate. And I, I, not only that, but I think timely for this particular moment in history as the virus that's upon us has, has caused pastors everywhere to rethink what does it mean to be the church. So thank you so much for your time and investment today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. So this has been the Towards Wholeness Podcast today with Jeff Hughes. Thanks very much for joining us, and we hope that uh, you'll join us again next time.